Morning, everyone. <laughs> well, it's uh, always a big pleasure and a blessing to, first of all, worship together as a family of God, um, together here with the youth and the adults and the, the parents. But uh, more than anything, it's a privilege to be able to preach to you all. Um, what a blessing it is. Uh, this past Friday, I was able to witness and obviously film our ladies, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, especially just seeing a lot of the women and girls just having just a lot of fun with each other. And it's, it's really funny because at times I felt like our moms were more crazy than our youth girls. They were just like, ah, like practicing all the moves. And uh, it, it, was, it was really fun to just see. Um, although it was a little uncomfortable. Like I was, there was just me. Taco was there, but he left. And then uh, there was the, the instructor. So we're the only two guys. And Every time, uh, like, one of the girls would practice one of these, like, groin kicks, they would give me the craziest look, and I was like, yeah, just please not to me, and I don't know, it was really uncomfortable. They're like, come here, like, let me practice. I'm like, no, 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 um, but, you know, it, it really got me excited um, because uh, it gives me hope in terms of what is possible or in the future, like, what are we able to do from things like this, from this event? Um, and it got me excited because I think we may bear fruit of godly mentorship among the women of our church. And so uh, where like our adults can uh, guide our youth students, our youth girls, and, um, which actually makes my job a lot easier. And so um, especially as we're entering into this month of May, um, I can't help but feel this overwhelming theme of family, right? Uh, next week we're going to be celebrating Mother's Day, uh, next month is Father's Day. Uh, if you're actually a traditional Korean, um, today's actually considered Children's Day. Um, so there's this like overwhelming theme of family, and I realize we all need guidance, right? This past Friday, we had these women kind of guiding our young girls, but I realize we as all believers need guidance in terms of our Christian living, especially what does Um, proper guidance or practical applications for um, the Christian household. And so uh, today, um, I just felt this strong urge in my heart to just kind of preach on giving those guidelines specifically to marriages, to families, and to just kind of the general outside living, like working or going to school. How are we to practically apply these things? Um, And to be honest, before we even go into this sermon, um, as we're reading this passage, um, if I have to make a confession, I, I lack a lot of the experiences that I'm about to preach today. Okay, I, I just got married, so you're probably like, who are you to speak about uh, you know, marriage? Uh, you know, it's only been nine months. I have no kids, although I've been a youth pastor for eight years. I feel like I have like a, an ounce right, of, of just kind of what it's like to deal with like young kids. Uh, but honestly, I don't, I don't know what it's like to be a dad or a parent. Um, and to be honest, youth pastor is kind of like the only job I've kind of really had. I've, I've worked other jobs, uh, but I don't have that much outside like um, working experience. So I'm not the most qualified to preach this, um, so give me grace. Uh, but I feel very convicted to just uh, give an exhortation from Scripture. Okay? So today we're going to be looking at this question. Um, what guidelines do believers um, have for living a faithful Christian life. Okay, I think this is not working. Just 
All good. Um, so before we uh, actually dive into today's text, I want to give a real quick background. Um, Colossians was actually written by uh, Apostle Paul, who wrote this in prison while he's in Rome. Okay? So what's very interesting is that he actually never visited the Colossians. Right? And so his letter to them is actually very similar to the letter to the Ephesians, okay? so, um, which he actually wrote at the same time. So um, if you read Ephesians, you read Colossians, it actually mirrors each other very well. Um, I think he actually goes a little more in depth than Ephesians. And so today, as we are reading some passage, I'm going to parallel them to his Ephesians passage, which um, gives a little more depth to uh, those verses. Um, but basically, the Colossians, what they struggled a lot with was various heresies. Okay? There's a lot of heresies going on in the Colossian church. Um, and so Paul basically writes to guide them and to instruct them in theology and practical applications. Okay, so um, as we are approaching chapter 3, as we're in the, the heart of it, what we're seeing is really practical applications for Christian living. Okay, so um, the main idea and the exhortation comes from verse 17. Um, does this, oh, yeah, it does work. Okay, um, so again, the question is what guidelines do believers have for living a faithful Christian life? And this is the main exhortation. Most people, when they preach this sermon, they will not include verse 17. It'll be from verse 18 to about 25 or chapter 4, verse 1. Um, but I wanted to include this because I really feel like verse 17 of chapter 3 is really kind of the heart of the whole book of Colossians. Like this ties it all together. If, if Paul were to just say, if, just, uh, if you were to remember one thing, it's to do this verse, okay? Verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That is our main application and our main exhortation. I, I kind of want to make that clear. This is our almost end all of what we're trying to achieve. All the other things are going to be what does it look practically as we apply this, this principle into our lives. So what does it look like for me as a wife? Or as a husband, as a dad, as a child, as a worker, as a student, as a boss, as a teacher, whatever. Um, what does it look like then practically, visually? But this is the main exhortation. Whatever you're doing in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Um, and of course here, I, I do what really quickly want to explain. When he says in word or in deed, that word, word, doesn't just refer to just verbal acts, like just speaking, like you know, whatever you say. It also means like your thoughts. Uh, do your thoughts, are you doing that for the Lord? Is it in your heart, are the words that you're speaking, is it truth? Because uh, you could just be simply saying stuff, but not mean it, right? And so, um, so from here on out, we're going to look at specific application to do this, um, specifically for our Christian household. Um, and so as we're looking at this exhortation, um, what's very interesting is the way Apostle Paul presents this. He presents uh, three relationships, and he presents these uh, kind of this practical application in this format. First, there's a cultural norm. Hey, whatever he first says is this is normal. Okay, nobody is like uh, shocked at what he's saying, um, and he's generally telling everyone to submit or to obey. Okay, so that's one party. And then the second one, this is really different, is that 
It's a radical countercultural shift to exemplify Christ. This is the one when he tells this group of people, it's like, huh? Like, excuse me? Like, the first one, it's like, amen. But this second one kind of just catches you off guard. Like, excuse me, what did you just say? Like, ah. Uh, and you feel a little uncomfortable about this, especially about the people during this time. So um, we're going to be looking at three groups. First, the marriage, wives and husbands. Secondly, children and fathers. But generally, we can apply this to parents. Uh, and then thirdly, slaves and masters. And uh, I know most of us don't identify as a slave or a master. Um, so we can generally apply this to all of us, whether you're like a youth student, you're a student, or you're an employee, you're a worker, and, or you're an employer or boss or teacher, or someone just in authority in general. Okay? So um, let's first look at the guidelines for wives and husbands. Um, in verse 18, it says this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to, in the Lord. Um, you know, in today's culture, when we uh, hear these words, submit to your husband, I think it could be very shocking and very offensive, right? It could be a, um, many people could take this the wrong way, like, whoa, like, I, that doesn't sound cool, especially in our culture today. Um, but more importantly, this uh, does not mean uh, what we think it is, okay? Um, so this word submission uh, basically means to support your husband's uh, spiritual leadership over the family, right? You're placing yourself in willful submission and trusting in his decisions and not like almost having a reluctant attitude, not like a, I just submit to your will or fine, have it your way. Okay, I'll just listen to you. But it's, yes, I support you and I willfully submit and I accept these things. Um, also, what it does mean as well uh, for wives is that it means you accept the demands of the relationship without bitterness, without tallying the labors and sacrifices to see what the husbands have done, like measuring them. All right, let's see how much you've done. And based off of that, I will submit to you. Uh, one of the greatest advices I got right before I got married from uh, one of my favorite professors from seminary was um, he said, Einstein, your first two, marriage, uh, first two years of marriage, make a lot of good memories with your wife. I was like, oh, okay, why? He said, because women remember. And if you make a lot of bad memories, 10 years from now, she's going to be like, remember that time? <laughs> and it's only been nine months, and my wife still remembers all the bad moments. <laughs> and I realized that's so true. Women, wives, when it means to submit it means not tallying these things, not measuring them and remembering these things and to remember all the wrong things. But again, more than anything, as Paul is preaching this, exhorting this to the Colossians, nobody is shocked. Everyone's like, oh, well, yeah, the wives, we've been doing that. And the husbands are going, amen, right? That's, that, that, that's right. But here's the point, okay? So for some of us that feel a little uncomfortable, like, oh, I, I don't know about this. Paul's point is not to point out that there's a superior group and an inferior group. That's, that's not the whole point here. His point is to show uh, basically mutual accountability, mutual submission, loving one another. That, that's the whole point. He wants unity within the Christian household. And the only way in the marriage is that one submits the wife. And so, how can I also prove this? Earlier in this chapter, Paul said things um, 
throughout the chapter that really supported this. Look at with me, um, just a bunch of points, uh, verses that show that he supports unity and not inferiority or superiority. He says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, or put on love the perfect bond, or in one body, teaching and admonishing one another. And similarly, in Ephesians chapter 5, right, uh, that parallels this passage, he says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives submit in everything to their husbands. You see, Paul cares about unity in the Christian household. He cares that there's no dissensions, and his prescription is wives submit to your husbands. Then he says wives uh, submit as is fitting to the Lord. What does this mean? This means submitting in a manner that's appropriate to God's guidelines, his teachings found in his word. Submit in a manner that is pleasing unto God, basically. So what does the character of God uh, desire from us? What, what, what appeals to his character? Why submit in a manner that is like that? Peaceful, patience, loving, right? All, all the things you can think of, like the things we're even calling out the, the, the titles of God, the attributes of God. Basically, why submit in a manner similar in that way? Or another way of putting it is exemplify Christ's humility and submission. Again, like I said, the main exhortation was verse 17. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so how do wives do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus? One way is by submitting to their husbands as is fitting to the Lord. But more than that, as you're kind of thinking about this, a woman does not submit to their husbands because he deserves it, okay? Or by his own merits. But rather, wives submit because she knows that it's pleasing to God. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but every application is going to be that, basically. Whatever you're going to do, do it because you're doing it for God, not for your husband. In the end, I'm going to show that if you do it for your husband, you're going to fail and everything's going to go downhill, right? But do it because you want to please God. And of course, secondly, he tells the husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Um, In the Hellenistic Greek culture, males were the head of the household, okay? And it's interesting because Paul here, um, he addresses the role of a wife first and then the husband, okay? Um, this, I think, if I'm just reading into it, and a lot of other theologians basically point this out as well, I think this goes to prove to show that the male is not superior over the wife, the woman, right? Otherwise, maybe he would have reversed the order. Husbands, love your wife, and then wives, submit to him. But he addresses the wife first, and then the husband, okay? Um, and so he re- rearranges this, and... Um, and throughout Colossians, Paul, he basically addresses um, throughout this whole book of that Christians should be very different. They should be basically having a new humanity because of Christ. And therefore, this verse is something that's very different culturally to the men of this time. The husbands, when they heard this, they're like, excuse me? Like, uh, I feel a little uncomfortable. About what do you mean, like, don't be harsh with them? What do you mean, love them? You see, at this time, the husbands were the he- head of the household. And they pretty much had authority to do all types of things. They could definitely discipline their own children. 
but they can discipline their own wives. If their wives are being unruly, they had the authority to discipline them in whatever way that they found fit. And so now, this, all of a sudden, Paul is saying these things, saying, but you as a Christian, you should be significantly different as a husband. Take this seriously. Similarly, in um, Ephesians chapter 5, he says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He expands upon loving your wife. He says, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Man, for me, whenever I read that, it just like sinks my heart and it makes me feel this heavy burden as a husband. Man, I've got to be willing to live my life as a husband just as Christ did. Willing to deny myself, deny my flesh, to die for her. Not just like this willingness, but to put her before myself. And you see, today in our culture, it bleeds this constant idea of what it means to love each other is making each other happy. It's this idea of doing romantic things for each other. Let me buy you this. Let me... I don't know, do something really cute for you. Um, Let me buy you flowers. But loving one another is way more than that, right? Bigger idea is imitating Christ, exemplifying Christ to your wives. And as you do that, it means being willing to put your life on the line, to put her far more valuable than your own life. Um, That's a radical call to love, right? And so, He even goes a little further and says, don't be harsh with them. Um, Again, this is very applicable at this time because husbands were very harsh. But a sad reality in today's culture is that we do see many instances of domestic violence, right? Of husbands mistreating their wives, of of not only just physically, but maybe uh, verbally, uh, verbal abuse. Um, And so, you know, husbands might be uh, saying like, well, my wife is being all crazy or whatever. Um, and, and I want to say this. When wives are defiant, critical or non-submissive, it doesn't negate our call as husbands to love our wives as Christ died for the church. And Paul goes further by saying, right, don't be harsh with them. And what does harshness look like today? Again, I said it could be like physical beating. But it can also be like criticalness, comparing, right, saying harsh words, um, slandering words. And... Um, And when I thought about this, as I was kind of thinking about the applications of this, I realized that, yes, wow, these words still apply for us today. today. As a husband, uh, I mean, thankfully, I haven't, like, beaten my wife or anything like that, laid hands on her. But I know there is a temptation in my soul, not, not to really hit her, but to be angry, right? To almost be tempted to be harsh with my own wife. Like, if she's being all crazy or whatever, like, uh, I have this temptation to be like, oh, I'm going to, I don't know. I want to respond back to you so, like, so horribly. I want to scare you almost. Like, I want to show my dominance. Like, there's that temptation. And I realize, I I, I think this is like a temptation for many men, is to be harsh. Now, I know some of you men might be thinking, well, I I don't really struggle with that at all, right? Uh, So does that make me a good spouse, right? I, I, I'm never harsh with her. I'm never, I never beat them. Um, I, I don't do these things. So yeah, I, I guess my only application here is to love my wife. Um, so are we good? Um, not exactly, because 
The end goal, again, is not to just love your wife and not to be harsh with them. That is not our litmus test. That is not the thing we just go, check, I'm good, I love my wife, and today I was, I was so kind, I was so patient with her. Uh, I, I did my role. Um, no, because like I said, verse 17 is our main exhortation, which is in everything, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our exhortation. Um, so yes, you can refrain from being physically uh, harsh or whatever. But did you know actually this word um, in the Greek, do not be harsh, actually could be also translated as do not become embittered or resentful towards her. Meaning, um, don't be filled with rage or bitterness. You know, me and my wife, we call each other honey, right? As many couples do. Why? Because honey is sweet, right? You never hear couples calling each other, hey, vinegar, or like, uh, hey, bitter, bitter, apple fritter, right? Um, you don't hear that, right? Because uh, you want to call each other something sweet. And much like how I said, like, wives, don't just submit to your husbands with that reluctant attitude, like, fine, I will submit to you. Oh, I just can't, like, you know, I can't wait for you to fail. Or uh, not like with that attitude or like husbands, like, oh, I'm just going to be patient with you. But in your heart, you're like, I hate you. Like, right. Um, Do not be harsh signifies also don't be bitter with them. Don't let your heart be filled with rage and bitterness. Okay. Secondly, he gives guidelines for children and the families, right? And to parents, to fathers, actually in specific. Um. So, here's the first cultural norm. He says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And just like the exhortation to the wives, right, to submit to their husbands, this command is not shocking at all. Kids are like, oh, yeah, I mean, that's what I've been taught. And all the parents are going, amen, amen, right? Uh, Oh, but yes, kids, obey me. But what's very interesting about this is notice who he's addressing. Does he say, fathers, Teach your kids to obey you in everything, for this pleases the Lord. He directs children's directly. And this is like almost also groundbreaking. So this is the only thing that's very culturally not normal. It's like, whoa. Like, as kids are hearing this letter being proclaimed, they're like, oh, like, to, to me? Like, someone, someone wrote a letter to me? Wow. Apostle Paul, that, that's so cool. And it gives them a very strong exhortation to obey your parents in everything. Um, what does this show, kids? What does this show that Paul addresses the kids directly? I think this shows two things. That one, you're important to God. You are important. This isn't just a, you follow your parents to church type of thing, and, and then it just kind of trickles down their faith and their teaching comes down to you. No, God speaks to all of us, not to just the adults, but to kids, to youth students, to children. You're important. But secondly, we as children to our parents we have a role in the family too just as the wife has a role the husband has a role hey kids you have a role and that is to obey your parents so what does it mean to obey this word obey is actually way more stronger than the word submit so kids uh, you have a stronger calling in a sense to submit and to obey your parents i want to really clarify obeying doesn't just mean following orders like for example um i know many of us we've are told as kids to do things right hey clean your room take out the trash uh, do your homework uh whatever do do the dishes 
uh, fold your laundry. There's so many things you could be called to do. And yes, obeying is doing it, but it goes way more than just doing it. For example, when I was a kid, I remember my dad used to ask me to do all sorts of things that I really didn't like. And looking back, I'm like, I don't even see what the purpose was, why he made me do certain things. Like, um, But yeah, like, he would tell me, go take out the trash. And honestly, I feared my dad, right? So I, I, I didn't even question it. I, I would do it. But in my heart, I'd be like, and I would throw the trash away. Like, fine. But I'd be like, yes, dad, right? And so, like, in fear to him. Um, but that isn't true obedience. Why isn't just simple obedience of commands be enough? Because it doesn't please the Lord, right? What is our main exhortation again? Verse 17, do everything in the name of the Lord. Right? Even at the end of verse 20, it says, this pleases the Lord when we obey our parents. That is our goal, is to please the Lord. Um, and if I could give another example for you kids, it's like this. Um, we're, we all know we should read the Bible. We all know we should do quiet time. We should pray, spend time with God. You can just simply check that off, right? You can just open up your Bible and be like, in the beginning was God, amen, I'm done, right? And you just speed read that, and then you go right into prayer, Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for this day, amen. And you just check it off, man, I'm just, I, I got it done in, in one, one minute, <laughs> praise God, right? I did it, I, the word of God told me to meditate on his word, to do it, to pray, check, right? Uh, I'm ready for tomorrow, right? But that's not the point. It's not just simply obeying. It goes a lot deeper. It's, is your heart obeying? Just like the wives are su- submitting in a way that's not with like grumbling or husbands. They're not becoming embittered in their souls. Children, obey not with just action, but in your heart. Okay? Then secondly, he says, it's within the context of obeying in everything. So what does that mean? It means obeying in a manner that's consistent then with God's law, God's teaching. So are you obeying in a manner that is pleasing to him? As, just like the, the wives, like, um, are you obeying in a way that's loving, patient, right, kind, or uh, all, all these different things? Read scripture and obey in everything that is consistent, that is found in scripture. So I know what your kids might be thinking. You're like, man, but you don't understand. My, my parents have all these rules, and it's so annoying. It's almost like, like there's no way I can obey these. Like, these are almost unreasonable. So you might be thinking, why do we even have rules? Like, why do my parents come up with all these crazy rules? I want to read for you a, a great quote by C.S. Lewis, okay? It says this. If the home is to be a means of grace, oops, it must be a place of rules. The alternative to rule is not freedom, but the unconstitutional and often unconscious tyranny of the most selfish member. Um, If there's no rules in a household, kids, you might be thinking, yes, freedom. Um, It becomes chaos, actually. It becomes actually not a place of freedom, but a place of just chaos. And you will not be in a place of freedom. You will not be in a place of of joy, your life will be, I think, a lot worse. It might feel like, wow, this is great, but it's not, okay? Um, And so, but more than that, I want to encourage you students with this fact. Obeying your parents 
pleases God, but more than that, I believe understanding obedience to our parents helps us to understand our obedience to God's authority in our lives. You want to grow in your relationship with God? Learn to obey your parents. This is practice. But more than that, if I can even encourage you even further, I know um, like whenever the topic of like boys and girls come up, you're like, ooh, right? Like, yeah, I want to get married one day. I want to date. You want to be prepared for marriage? This is practice right here. Obey your parents in everything. And I'm not saying marriage will be easy from that point on, but I think it will be a little easier, right? As when you become a wife, it'll be a lot easier to submit to your husband. When, when, when you become a husband, it'll be a lot easier to love your wife and not be harsh with them when you obey. This is training right now. And so train yourselves in preparation to be a good husband or wife in the future, right? Or even a good father in the future. So, which then leads us to the next important thing is parents, right? Fathers. Um, We're called to raise these kids and to teach them and raise them up that manner that lines up with Scripture as well. So fathers, do not, it says, provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Um, again, this word fathers could also just be generally applied to parents. But I also do think there is a special call to fathers here that is very strong that I think we need to take very seriously. Okay? Um, first, he says, don't provoke your children. Right? What does that mean? It means don't exasperate or basically another translation is actually don't nag them. Right? Uh, I think there's a lot of, like, a can of worms that can be opened here. I, I already hear it, like, but you don't understand. Like, I, I've actually heard some of uh, you dads telling me, like, it's crazy. I tell them the same things, right, that you just told them. But for some reason, they listen to you. They don't listen to me, right? Um, okay, and I get it. I, I do think there is a healthy nagging, but there's also a very unhealthy nagging, right? Um, and obviously, if you're teaching the right things, that's okay. But basically, what I'm just trying to show is, Biblically, one of the translations was, don't nag, okay? Um, So here's a consequence of that, right? Um, By the way, when you exasperate them, when you nag them, basically what you might be doing is you might be belittling them or through your words or your actions, you might be showing, hey, you might not be as important right now, right? I'm important. Let me tell you, I know more and you don't know anything, right? And the consequence could be this, and Paul tells us, that they might become discouraged or lose heart. We as, uh, I, I can't say we, um, as dads or as parents, a consequence of, of just being, uh, just constantly uh, provoking, exasperating, whatever, like teaching and wanting like, the best for our kids could actually affect their spiritual walks with God in a negative way, even though we're meaning good. So here I, I thought about some ways, and I kind of read up on, um, and I was reading in some commentaries on ways that parents could really exasperate or provoke our children that they become discouraged. So here are some ways. One, being too overprotective, right? Um, we all know those parents, right? Um, I, I think we might have some even in our, our church. They're, you know, helicopter parents, right? Um, being protective is not a bad thing, right? But overprotectiveness could be very unhealthy. 
to a point where it could really discourage our children. No, you can't do that. No, 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 it's too unsafe. No, 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 no way, no way, no way. No, 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 no. You just, just, just stay in the house and never leave, never ever do anything. Just stay in my arms, right? It's like, oh my gosh, let me go, right? Um, being too overprotective. Showing favoritism could really provoke our children and become discouraged. Uh, I can guarantee you, even if you are not doing this, and even though you're not intentionally doing this, if you have more than one kid, I can almost guarantee you that these kids probably feel like you have favoritism for one of, of the children. Okay? I felt this as a youngest kid, and I felt like, I know it's stereotypical to feel like the youngest is the favorite, but man, I really felt like my two older brothers were the favorite. I mean, every, uh, every year my brothers would get new clothes, I was getting their old clothes, and I was like, dude, what the heck, you know? And I was like, dude, like, how can I not feel like I'm the least favorite, right? Um, how about depreciating their worth? I think sometimes, and I'm shocked to hear this, but parents sometimes will say this, like, no, you're not good enough for that. No, 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 don't, don't even try that. No, no, no. You're, or, or even things like, I've heard, ah, you, you look a little ugly, right? Or, uh, you need to fix that look of yours, and maybe promoting a certain look. Appreciating their worth could really become discouraging, right? Or failing to show affection, or not providing for their needs, or being overly critical, like, oh, you know what? You're just not smart. You need to study more. You need to do all these different things. Or the last two, neglecting them, or excessive discipline, right? Like, just all the time, just wanting to uh, discipline our kids. Um, I'll kind of touch upon that a little bit later, but... um. Paul says, similar in uh, chapter 6 of Ephesians, he says, Fathers, don't provoke your kids to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So how do children obey in everything? Well, they've got to know God's teachings. They've got to know his word. And this is a special call for fathers and parents to teach and to raise them up in the ways of the Lord. And this is a very heavy call for fathers, for parents to take seriously before their own kids. Um, now, if I can just encourage you dads, it's with this. You know, our, hev- our earthly fathers can really affect our view of our heavenly father. Um, uh, it, when, when I was in seminary, um, I took a spiritual formation. We had, we're all required to take these classes. And um, one of the things we all shared as students um, before our peers and to each other, we had to do this whole life map thingy. We all shared basically our view of our earthly father, our whole life with him. How did you feel when he did that? How did you feel? And, and, and then from there was, and at that moment, what was your view of God? And we realized oftentimes there was a correlation of our view of our earthly dads. And then there was this kind of skewed image of our heavenly father. And I will give my example. When I was a kid, like I mentioned earlier, I genuinely feared my dad. I really feared him. Me and my brothers, like seriously, we'd be like watching like cartoons uh, after school. And then my dad's car had a distinct sound. The moment it pulled up, we're like, Appa's home, right? It basically means dad's home. And we would literally run to our rooms and pretend like we're studying like good kids. Like, <laughs> like literally 90 degree, like. And then right when our dad would walk by, like, hi, dad. Right? I'm doing my homework. And we just genuinely feared him. Um, but there's a reason why we feared our dad. My dad had something called a mongdengi basket. Okay, what, what does that mongdengi mean? In Korean, it basically means like 
beating stick, okay? Like, literally, that's his purpose, is to discipline and to beat physically. Um, my dad, he collected mongdengi sticks for fun. I'm not kidding. Like, uh, like we'd be camping, and my, uh, I'd be with my mom. She's like, where's your dad? I'm like, I-, I don't know. And I'm not kidding. Like, literally, my dad would pop out of the forest with a huge branch, like, this is a good mongdengi stick. And me and my brother were like, dude, seriously, like, we're camping, like, chill dad and my dad strategically placed this like like seriously this garbage can sized basket on our stairs so every time we're walking by there's a bunch of mongdengis okay bunch of different there's pvc pipes there's bamboo stick there's tree branches there's golf clubs whatever and so anytime we got in trouble he would tell us go bring me a mongdengi to beat you with right it was like it was our choice like we gotta go there and choose like all right which one do i want to be beat with and me and my brother, we were like strategists, like, hey, hey, don't choose the bamboo. It's like the worst thing ever. Like, all right, thanks, thanks. Like, <laughs> we, we were like, uh, and we genuinely feared our dad. Um, and so I really feared him because um, being the youngest, I witnessed my brothers getting, like, they would make a lot of mistakes, and my dad would, like, beat them. And I'd be like, ooh, I'm never going to make that mistake again, right? Or, um, and, and I, I was afraid. I, and there was this, like, sense of if I make a mistake, I will be judged harshly and that every time when i sinned as a kid i felt that way towards my heavenly father i felt like god was going to strike me down like i remember as a kid i would like just try to fit in with my friends and i would like cuss like beep and i'd be like immediately just in my heart uh, not with my eyes closed i'd be like father you know i, I didn't mean that i'm really sorry like <laughs> as a kid i was like i'm just trying to uh, make some friends please god like please do not strike me down right um dad's your role as an earthly father could drastically affect the view of our kids' view of a heavenly father. Um, but, you know, uh, I, and I just want to touch upon this again uh, and encourage you guys. Um, you know, my mom, she was spiritual, and she did a lot of things. Like, in terms of, like, here's my, what my mom did and what my dad did. Like, uh, it, it doesn't even compare. Like, spiritually, my mom was, like, the rock and my dad. There weren't that many spiritual foundational moments in my life. But to be honest, my best memories and the ones that were the most influential came from my dad. Even though he did so little, like, in terms of my, like, faith, like, directly with me. And so there's two examples I want to share with you. Uh, in Korean culture, there's something called jesa, which basically is like this whole kind of Buddhist traditional uh, thing of, like, once a year, you kind of bow down to your ancestors. You prepare a meal for them. You, like, burn incense, and you have, like, the pictures there. It's kind of freaky. And you, like, literally bow, and you kind of talk with them, right? Um, my whole dad's side did that. And my dad, not to break any relationship with our dad's side of the family, he told us, we're going to do it. But as we're bowing down, we're going to pray to God. We're going to pray that our family would know Jesus. Right? But we're going to do this to build a relationship with them, not to break or to offend them, but let's pray for them. Do the whole motion. Look, look, do what they do, but pray. And that still stuck with me, even though that was from a little kid. Or when I was a senior, my dad uh, at church, he took something called Father School, which is like a, uh, this program that the church uh, thing did. And honestly, it was so uncomfortable, man. Like, um, I never really talked with my dad growing up. He never really said words like, I love you. He never even said things like, I'm proud of you or happy birthday, like, good job, son. Like, I would get four points, like, look, dad. And he'd be like, you could do better. I'm like, what? Um, uh, like, you could get a 4.2 or something. And... Um, and it was crazy. Like, my dad, uh, because of that thing, it was like the funny. I remember the first homework assignment he had to do was to pray for me. 
And he opened the door, and I knew this because my friends told me, like, dude, it's so uncomfortable. <laughs> like, my dad came in and prayed for me, and we just, like, looked at each other. We're like, oh, shit. He's like, oh, I still, uh, I have a homework assignment. I, I have to pray for you. And so, anyways, and so, but those moments really were influential in my faith, and it drastically, I think, helped me grow as, uh, as a man of God. And so lastly, our guidelines for bond servants, slaves, and masters. Um, and as we're thinking about this again, it's not just for, like, I, we don't identify as slaves or as masters, but it applies for us in general. If you are not someone of authority, then you are the slave. You obey uh, your masters, someone above you, whether it's your parents, whether it's like a boss or like a teacher. Or if you're a master, it's like someone where someone's underneath you. And what I want to ultimately share, share with all of us is that we are all slaves and masters. All of us are. Both. You are both a slave and a master. Okay? Um, so when we read this passage, Paul is actually not endorsing slavery. Okay? Um, I know our image of slavery is greatly affected by our image of American slavery. Um, it's different. Um, not to say that the slavery back then wasn't atrocious or anything like abusive. But m- many times this was like a job for the slaves back then. Okay, so, um, and so it's very similar just like how he asks or commands wives and children to obey your husbands or your parents. Slaves were commanded to obey their earthly masters, right? And so we, whether we have an employer or a teacher or someone above us in authority, we're called to obey them, right? Um, but again, our first and foremost exhortation in verse 17, do everything for Christ. We first serve Jesus, then secondly, the company that writes our checks or the schools, the teachers that are above us. Um, and so I know the question we might be thinking, but what if my superiors are immoral, are unethical, or uh, they're just lousy? I, I don't really like them. What are we called to do as Christians? Right? Am I called to really submit to someone that's being so unbiblical? Um, well, he tells us in this passage, he says, fear the Lord. Don't be people pleasers. Work with the sincerity of your heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily for the, for the Lord and not for men. Do everything for Christ and not for the man. And still, you can obey while not really, really serving their purpose, but serving the purpose of the Lord. And so, uh, why should we obey? Because he tells us there's a future hope. In verse 24, the first reason he tells us is that knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, right? Our earthly masters might not give us what we deserve, but our God will. As you work heartily, as you do all these things, as you work diligently as a faithful worker, as as you're a faithful student, you're not cheating or whatever, as you serve Christ, what you might be potentially doing is you're making an uh, eternal investment. You're revealing the character of God to them. And hopefully one day they might see God through you and you reveal Christ. But then secondly, in verse 25, he says this, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done. You see, God is our avenger, right? right? Um, just because someone's done wrong to you or is harsh to you, don't be the avenger. Don't think, ah, like, I don't really like the way he's acting. I don't really agree. Like, what he's doing is so unbiblical, so I'm going to really retaliate in a very, uh, like a frustrated way. Ultimately, God is the judge, and he will finally judge them. So we're called to obey. 
And secondly, he tells us, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. See, this applies to anyone who has authority. And I want to share this. I, I think we all kind of have some sense of authority, even the youth, okay? We're all above someone. I remember when I was younger, growing up at church, I um, had a lot of times adults yelling at me, like, hey, like, go do this. And, you know, and they would tell us to do all sorts of ridiculous things, right? And I, me and my friends, we would hate these things, right? Um, we all have somewhat of an authority, somewhat of a, and of ability to show um, where people kind of follow us. Like, I remember like, a couple of weeks ago, like, some youth students were playing games here, and, like, all these little children were gathering. They are watching. And I was like, oh, I don't think you should play that because kids are watching. You're literally shooting other people, and there's, like, blood everywhere. And I was like, can you cover that, right? We all have authority here. And so parents, just like how we saw this past Friday, there's this beautiful interaction with young ladies and older women, you know, that, that's kind of our authority here. And so act in a way that is holy, that is uh, pleasing, but also treat everyone below us justly and fairly, as he says. Okay? And so uh, ultimately why? He says because our mas- we have a master in heaven and our goal is to please our God who is in heaven. So here's a conclusion, okay? So here's the big idea. Uh, again, what guidelines do believers have for living a faithful Christian life? The ultimate end goal is to do everything for our Lord Jesus Christ. That is ultimately what we're always going to strive for. If as a wife, all you're trying to do, again, is to, I'm just going to submit to my husband as fitting to the Lord, it's going to go downhill from there. It's just like as a kid can easily read the Bible and just pray real quickly and just check that off and be like, I'm done. No. Our end goal is to do everything in the name of the Lord. Doing, lining up our hearts with Him to uh, in a manner that actually exemplifies Christ. And that's the thing I really want us to kind of almost remember it as. Is in, I think the application for wives, husbands, children, parents, slaves, uh, employees, employers could have been this. Just exemplify Christ in everything you do. That should be your a- end goal in whatever you do. So uh, as you're in your marriage, try to exemplify Christ to one another. Um, I would to just give one last uh, quick illustration. It would be this. Um, we all have different roles in a family. We all have different roles in a church. But we all have the same goal. And that is, again, to serve Christ, to exemplify Him. And here's an example. It's like a restaurant. Okay? There's this game called Overcooked. right? Uh, a lot of these kids know it. It's a very simple game. And parents, I encourage you. I know some of you guys are like, uh, you hate video games. This is a very fun video game that will actually help you communicate better. Okay? Uh, basically, there's like all these orders that come up and and you just got to push one button. You got to go around like someone has to chop vegetables. Someone's got to throw in the pot. Things like this could happen, like fires can erupt or whatever. Someone's got to wash dishes. But in a restaurant, you have different roles, right? You have people that are chefs. You have people that have to just do all the dishes. You have people that are waiters and waitresses that serve uh, and take orders and serve the food or whatever. And I, I look at this image of a restaurant. It's just like a family and a church. We all have different roles, but we should have the same goal. In a restaurant, it's to serve the customers. It's to feed them and to really serve them, right? That's our end goal. But if our end goal is just, I'm just going to do my job as a chef. I'm just going to make this and just whatever, and not deal with my other uh, coworkers, then that restaurant is a horrible restaurant, and that's why you get bad reviews, right? And likewise, in everything that we do, 
our harmonious relationship is, we have the same goal, and it's to serve Christ. And if we do that, I think not only can we exemplify Christ to one another as a husband, as a wife, as a child, to a parent, or an employee, to an employer, or whatever, uh, I think collectively, as a unit, we can really do some amazing things in that unit. When people see our families doing this, Christ becomes far more visible in our lives. When we as a church do this, there will be revival happening. And so, um, again, above all, the exhortation is to, uh, to do everything for Christ. And my hope in um, my prayer is that throughout today and even this week, and obviously next week we're celebrating Mother's Day, and so, you know, students, as you honor your moms, please obey them this week. But um, I hope and pray that it would open up conversations of even things like this throughout even today and uh, that it can even allow for things to pray for one another and to really bless each other. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, for your word and giving us practical guidelines on how to uh, live out our Christian life. Uh, You have given us your church, the body of Christ, Uh, to lean on each other, but also to really practice exemplifying Christ to one another. Father, thank you so much that you give us different roles, different purposes in life. Um, And and, and Father, we just want to submit to those things. God, I know many of us, we struggle a lot of times in terms of fulfilling these things. And Father, I just pray that you would help us um, in our marriages Help us in our parenting and obeying our parents. Help us in our workplaces, in our schools. And I pray that we would just honor you and serve you in all that we do, God. Father, would you transform not only our lives, but the lives of the people around us. So use us, God, to exemplify you unto others. Thank you so much, God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.